Well, I hate sand. I hate the feel of it on my feet. I hated how the wind blows it into your eyes. But most of all, I hate how it gets everywhere. In everything, on everything, down everything, even up everything like your nostrils. And you can't get rid of it. No matter how hard you try, how well you wash yourself in the shower, sure enough, you'll find a bit of sand there, you know, just under your ankle or in your armpit or up your nose, somewhere. You just can't get rid of the sand. But the thing is, my family loves sand. My wife thinks that my hatred of sand is just psychological. But the girls, they just love it. They love the beach, they love the sand. So when we were down the coast, down at Marimbula recently, I just had to suck it up. And the beach cricket kind of helped get me down there. Well, we've been connecting the Psalms this summer to summary themes. And this week's theme is sand. Looking at Psalm 139, did David, King David hate sand like me? I don't know. Maybe he did. Who cares, really? The main thing is that he loved the image of sand, didn't he? Because it helped him to capture something of the God who knows everything. It's there in verse 17 and 18, and I'll read it out for us. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of of sand. There's the one reference to sand in this psalm this morning. In this psalm, David reflects on the God who knows everything about him. It's not a psalm that just presents us cold facts about God, abstract doctrines kind of up there. It's deeply personal. Did you get the feeling of that as it was read? You know me is the theme of this psalm from start to finish. Can you get more personal than that? Now, we all want to be known, don't we? None of us want to be nobodies in the world. All of us want to be known. We all have this deep desire to be understood. And there's a sense of comfort in being known, isn't there? A sense of security that comes with it. But isn't there also a sense of fear? Imagine with me that someone here this morning, has a USB stick in their pocket. And on that USB stick is every single detail, everything I ever did. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if my dad had that this morning in his pocket. He'd be the sort of guy that could. hope he doesn't. Anyway, I would not want anyone to see what's on that USB stick. And I'm guessing if it was you, you wouldn't either. You wouldn't want people to know every detail of your life, everything you ever did, or said? Well, the thing is, this is what we need to realise this morning, God has that memory stick. All our life data is at His fingertips. Everything is there. But for David, interestingly, God knowing everything about him, every detail of his life, it was something to rejoice in. And it can be for us too, this morning. Well, in the psalm, our whole lives are placed in God's knowing of us. And the first thing we see in verses 1 to 6 there is what we do is known by God. David speaks about God knowing everything he does, every thought that goes through his head, and every word that comes out of his mouth. God actively knows, that's one term used by David in those verses, 
discerns, perceives, is, becomes familiar with, all those words describing God's knowledge of him. It's personal. You see, David understood that God sees everything. Nothing escapes his attention. See, God's watching us all the time. From the moment we roll out of bed to when our head hits the pillow at night. He knows all our weird habits. How we brush our teeth. I start at the bottom, I think it's the bottom left, and I go to the bottom right, and then I go up the top, and then I do the front, every time. God knows that. He sees it. He knows whether we fold our undies or not. He knows how often we pick our nose or bite our nails. God knows that I do my belt up the wrong way. Again, that's something I blame my dad for. He should have told me that I did my belt up the wrong way and I wouldn't be doing it now. Apparently, this is the wrong way to do up a belt. My brother pointed out to me one day, but I don't care. I'm going to do it. God knows that I do that. But it's not just me that has weird habits. Russell has weird habits too, as I found out uh, in the office. He doesn't eat cheese on cracker he eats cracker on cheese, isn't that right? Something to do with the, how it crumbles and all that and staying on the cheese. I don't know. It was strange. God knows that about Russell. What is it that God knows about you? What are your weird habits that God sees and understands? See, God's got more cameras than Crown Casino. Every thought we have, he knows it before we have it. Every word we say, he knows it before we say it. Before we send a text, he knows. He knows that we're t- what we're typing and he knows what's going to happen when the person who receives it uh, gets it. He knows and sees everything. Now, the term you might have heard for, for this is God's omniscience. It's a fancy term. It just means God knows everything. Well, what's David's response? Well, he's both comforted and gobsmacked. The comfort's there in verse 5. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Life's full of uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes, let alone what's going to happen to us in the rest of our lives. But the thing with God is there's no uncertainty because He knows all. Nothing will take God by surprise this year or next year or the rest of our lives. And this is comforting. But it's only comforting when we know that God is for us, as we sang about in that song earlier. It's like having his hand on our shoulder saying, everything's going to be okay. But it's not the kind of everything's going to be okay that someone might say who doesn't know what else to say. He's saying it as the one in total control. That's the comfort. Well, David's gobsmacked reaction is in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. We can't get our head around this knowledge, can we? It's incomprehensible. We're not God. God's transcendent. What that means is he's unlike anything in all of creation, completely separate from the world he made. We're finite, we're limited in our understanding. And because of that, any kind of reflection that we might have 
and that David has here on the God who knows all things, it just blows our mind. What we do is known by the God who sees everything. It's the first thing we see in the psalm. The second thing we see in the psalm is wherever we go is known by God. That's how God sees and knows all things. David says in verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He's thinking, you know me, God, because I can't run from you. There's nowhere to hide. He knows God's up in the heavens. He knows he's down in the depths. He's where the sun rises in the east. He's where the sun sets in the west. Every nook and cranny, God's there. The most obscure places, every back street, each remote location, God's there. Every room of your house, everywhere we've been, everywhere we'll go, God is there. See, because God is spirit, he's not confined by anything. He can be anywhere and everywhere he wants. We can't put God in a box as much as we might wish we could. This is God's omnipresence, to use the fancy word. What does this amount to, though? This God who sees all things. What does it amount to for us? Well, there's no privacy from God. We can't block God like we can our Facebook friends. We can't change our privacy settings to limit God's access. He always has full access. There are no privacy settings on the account of our lives before God. And David knew this full well. Look there at verse 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. Nothing's hidden from God. And that provokes fear, doesn't it? Maybe no one else sees, but God sees. If we think that gossip that we spread, or that inappropriate conversation we had with such and such a person at work, or the pornography we looked at, if we kind of hope that it was hidden because it was done in secret, be afraid. The person you bad-mouthed might not have been there. Your husband or wife might not have been there. Our parents might not have been there. But God was there. Everything we do, it's like we're doing it under God's nose. Every sin we commit, you can't escape God's presence. You can't run from Him, you can't hide from Him. He sees all. And so to be known by God, as we've seen in this part of the psalm, is to be exposed before Him. But what we need to remember is, while God's eyes of judgment are inescapable, so is His forgiveness in Jesus when we come to Him when we bring our guilt to Him, when we bring our shame to Him. So whatever you've wanted to hide, whatever I've wanted to hide, take it to Jesus and know His forgiveness. 
Well, God's inescapable presence provokes fear, but David also finds comfort and security in it. Verse 9 and 10, If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. See, David knows that God's got his back. David knows that God won't abandon him. God has him firmly in his hand. And as I reflect on these verses as a Christian, I can't help but remember how Jesus speaks of nothing and no one can snatch me, can snatch you from my hand. The same one who promises to be with his followers to the end of the age. What we do is known by the God who sees everything. Where we go is known by the God who is everywhere. But also the third thing we see in this psalm is who we are. Our very core of our being is known by God, our Creator. Look there at verse 13 and 14. David reflecting, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. See, for David, what happens from conception through each trimester is deeply personal. He's not thinking about his birth from the point of view of a scientist sitting in a science lab. If he was watching one of those videos on YouTube, you know the ones, the ones that track this process from conception through to birth in fast speed. Has anyone seen one of those videos? You can watch them. Anyway, get on YouTube later, have a gaze at that and you can see this amazing thing. David's not watching one of those videos ticking off the development of organs systematically. Yep, there's the brain. Yep, there's the heart. Yep, he's, he's not doing that. He's in awe of God's beautiful craftsmanship as he watches that video. The God who carefully, delicately and wonderfully makes this process all happen. God knows us so intimately because he made us. We're creatures, creatures made in his image and he's the creator. Well, why do we need to recognise God as our creator? Why is that so important? Because unless we do, we can't actually know our true selves. We won't know that who we are is determined by the God who made us. Now, this is offensive to the modern world. How can something outside of me shape my identity? How can something external to me dictate who I am? When it comes to personal identity, what rules? It's internal desires, isn't it? Have you ever been to a school graduation where the kids are told, you can be whatever you want to be. If you follow your heart, the sky's the limit. Not economic factors or how tall you are or some other thing like location or your intellect. Thing is, when internal desires rule and are not shaped by the God who is external to us, we are led down a false path about who we think we are. The biggest external to us, our created 
our Creator God cannot be ignored if we want to know who we are. The God who made us with limitations. Well, why do we... So that's the first thing, why we need to... Why do we need to know that God is our Creator? The second thing, why do we need to know that we're fearfully and wonderfully made? Because unless, we'll do, unless we do, we'll find our value and worth in the wrong things. See, our value comes from being made by God in His image. Our value doesn't come from success or how we look or how much we can bench at the gym. None of these things determine who we are. Often this psalm gets used to defend the unborn. The unborn are precious not because they can think or speak. The unborn are precious not even because we love them in the first place. They're precious because they're little people. We've seen how our very lives are situated in God's knowing of us. What we do, where we go and who we are. Well, in the next part of our psalm... You might have noticed as it was read, there's a shift in tone, isn't there? It's jarring. And it's so dramatic that one person says that this psalm would be one of the most beautiful of all of the psalms had it finished at verse 18. But the God who knows all things is the God who searches all things. The God who is all-knowing is the same God who is the divine judge. Well, let's read from verse 19. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. I do, not, do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, the fearfully and wonderfully made verses, they're the kind of verses you see on display in people's houses, don't you? Up on the wall, so everyone can see. They're the kind of verses that you see on plaques, down at Kurong, the Christian store. Well, you're not going to see these verses on display in anyone's house. You're not going to see these verses sold on plaques at Kurong. Can you actually say this to God? I must admit, I never have. I've never prayed this. Perhaps that's because I haven't been in a church that someone has blown up and my brothers and sisters have, been, have died. Perhaps that's because my family hasn't been kidnapped and raped and murdered. Maybe then I would cry out for God's justice while hopefully praying for those who persecute us. Well, let's be clear on a few things here. The first thing is, David's not taking vengeance into his own hands here. He's bringing it to God. That's number one. Second thing, David's not having a whinge about stuff that doesn't matter. He's rightly upset about what is evil. and We've kind of lost a sense of what is evil in our world. Evil is real and it abhors God. And David, his servant, is rightly upset about what God has said is evil. Now the third thing 
that David's doing here is he's appealing to God's perfect justice. And isn't this what Jesus does? Peter talks about it. Rather than retaliating, when Jesus suffered, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And that is what David's doing here. Well, the challenge for us, I think, one of the challenges, is to care about what God cares about. To see evil as God sees evil. And once we care about what God cares about and see evil as God sees evil, then we can appeal to his justice. If I'm honest though, I get my back up about all kinds of things that don't really matter. All kinds of things that might affect me that are small but seem big in my eyes. But in God's eyes, it's just me being proud and arrogant. My sense of justice doesn't always marry up with God's justice. Does yours? As we know God and His ways more and more, we'll align our ways with Him. As we meditate on His Word, both day and night, David talked about, blessed is the man who meditates on God's law, both day and night. As we meditate on God's Word, we'll care what He cares about, and we'll love what he loves. Then we might long for his justice more than our own. What David does here is align himself with God and his ways. He's recognised the one who knows him and identifies with him, not God's enemies. But notice how he doesn't just want God to deal with evil out there, with the wicked. He wants God to deal with evil in here, if, it, if it's present, in his own heart. Coming back to the thought he declared in verse 1, he frames now as a question in verse 23 and 24. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Shouldn't this be our prayer today? Do you want the God who knows everything about you to find you out? To discover what's evil in your heart and to expose it before your eyes? Hopefully, as we've been working our way through this psalm, he's been doing that. David was prepared to have his sin exposed because he wanted nothing more than to be led in the way everlasting. We'll talk about being exposed. Fast forward a few hundred years and you have a woman at a well. You can read about this in John chapter 4. And at this well, this woman comes across a man. But he was no ordinary man. Here stood the man who knew everything about her. The eternal Son of God made flesh. Jesus. Jesus had the memory stick containing every, everything she ever did. But after being exposed before Jesus, she doesn't run, she doesn't hide, nor does Jesus drive her away in her fear and shame. He urges her to believe in him and find eternal life. He leads her in the way everlasting, to use the words of the psalm. 
She went away believing. And then she went away telling everyone who listened about this man who told her everything she ever did. This woman is a model example of the trust that we need to have in Jesus today. God, knowing everything about us, exposes us in our sin, but we don't need to hide, we don't need to run. Trusting in God's love and grace, we can bring it to Jesus and be led in the way everlasting. In Jesus, we find true comfort and security. In Jesus, we know that the God who knows us is for us and that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So for the Christian, because of faith, being known by God is not something to fear. It's something to rejoice in.